Long history. Sir Walter Raleigh's The Discovery of Guyana. Port 14. Beautiful waterfalls, riches, and men without heads. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Long History. Another chunk of history from the source of about 10 minutes or so. We're covering Sir Walter Raleigh's document at the moment about his search for El Dorado. And we're on to part 14 of an 18-part series. So don't forget to take a look at the other previous episodes that have already been released. But this should be a standalone episode in itself. And don't forget to subscribe. Then you can hear about the remaining episodes. And don't forget that there's plenty to explore on Long History. Including journeys by famous explorers such as Magellan, Francis Drake and Columbus. But on to the latest episode, and this is a very descriptive episode, as Raleigh continues exploring these lands. He's exploring the Orinoco River, around the area of today's Venezuela, but at that time it was called Guyana, although that isn't a very well-defined term, and Raleigh is specifically looking for El Dorado, of course, the city of gold. But again, he can't quite place it on a map, or doesn't quite know where it is. I wonder why. He describes a land of great natural wealth, particularly waterfalls, for example, before he goes on to discuss a type of wealth of more interest to English explorers. However, as we will see, the more details he gives, the more difficult it is to believe what he says. Has Raleigh persuaded you yet that El Dorado exists? Here we go with the discovery of Guyana, part 14. Beautiful waterfalls, riches, and men without heads. Upon this river, one Captain George, that I took with Berrio, told me that there was a great silver mine, and that it was near the banks of the said river. But by this time, as well Orinoque, Caroli, as all the rest of the rivers were risen four or five feet in height, so as it was not possible by the strength of any men, or with any boat whatsoever, to row into the river against the stream. I therefore sent Captain Thin, Captain Greenville, my nephew John Gilbert, my cousin Butchet Gorges, Captain Clark, and some thirty shot more to coast the river by land, and to go to a town some twenty miles over the valley called Amnatapoi. And they found guides there to go farther towards the mountain foot to another great town called Capurepana, belonging to a cacique called Hajaracoa that was a nephew to old Topiawari, king of Aramaya, or chief's friend, because this town and province of Capurapana adjoined Tamakureguarai, which was a frontier town of the empire. And the meanwhile, myself with Captain Gifford, Captain Caulfield, Edward Hancock, and some half a dozen shot, marched overland to view the strange overfalls of the river Caroli, which roared so far off, and also to see the plains adjoining and the rest of the province of Canuri. I sent also Captain Widden, William Connock, and some eight shot with them to see if they could find any mineral stone alongst the river's side. When we were come to the tops of the first hills of the plains adjoining to the river, we beheld that wonderful breach of waters which ran down Caroli, and might from that mountain see the river how it ran into three parts, above twenty miles off, and there appeared some ten or twelve overfalls in sight, every one as high over the other as a church tower, which fell with that fury that the rebound of water made it seem as if it had been all covered over with a great shower of rain. And in some places we took it at the first for a smoke that had risen over some great town. 
For mine own part, I was well persuaded from thence to have returned, being a very ill footman. But the rest were all so desirous to go near the said strange thunder of waters, as they drew me on by little and little, till we came into the next valley, where we might better discern the same. I never saw a more beautiful country, nor more lively prospects. Hills so raised here and there over the valleys, the river winding into diverse branches, the plains adjoining without bush or stubble, all fair green grass, the ground of hard sand easy to march on, either for horse or foot, the deer crossing in every path, the birds towards the evening singing on every tree with a thousand several tunes, cranes and herons of white, crimson and carnation, perching in the river's side, the air fresh with a gentle easterly wind, and every stone that we stooped to take up promised either gold or silver by his complexion. Your lordship shall see of many swords, and I hope some of them cannot be bettered under the sun. And yet we had no means but with our daggers and fingers to tear them out here and there, the rocks being most hard of that mineral spar aforesaid, which is like flint, and is altogether as hard or harder, and besides the veins lie a fathom or two deep in the rocks. Ah, but we wanted all things requisite, save only our desires and good will to have performed more if it had pleased God. To be short, when both our companies returned, each of them brought also several sorts of stones that appeared very fair, but were such as they found loose on the ground, and were for the most part but coloured, and had not any gold fixed in them. Yet, such as had no judgment or experience, kept all that glistered, and would not be persuaded, but it was rich because of the luster. And brought of those, and of Marcosite withal, from Trinidad, and have delivered of those stones to be tried in many places, and have thereby bred an opinion that all the rest is of the same. Yet, some of these stones I showed afterward to a Spaniard of the Caracas, who told me that it was El Madre del Oro, that is, the mother of gold, and that the mine was farther in the ground. But it shall be found a weak policy in me, either to betray myself or my country with imaginations. Neither am I so far in love with that lodging, watching, care, peril, diseases, ill-savers, bad fare, and many other mischiefs that accompany these voyages, as to woo myself again into any of them, were I not assured that the sun covereth not so much riches in any part of the earth. Captain Widdham and our surgeon Nicholas Milchamp brought me a kind of stones like sapphires. What they may prove, I know not. I showed them to some of the Orinocoponi, and they promised to bring me to a mountain that had of them very large pieces growing diamond-wise. Whether it be crystal of the mountain, bristol diamond or sapphire, I do not yet know, but I hope the best. Sure I am, that the place is as likely as those from whence all the rich stones are brought, and in the same height, or very near. On the left hand of this river, Caroli, I seated those nations which I called Iwarawakeri, before remembered, which are enemies to the Epureme. And on the head of it, adjoining to the great lake Casipa, 
or situated those other nations which also resist Inga and the Eperume, called Casipagotos, Eparegotos and Arawagotos. I farther understood that this lake of Casipa is so large as it is above one day's journey for one of their canoes to cross, which may be some forty miles, and that therein too fall diverse rivers, and that great store of grains of gold are found in the summer time when the lake falleth by the banks in those branches. There is also another goodly river beyond Caroli, which is called Arui, which also runneth through the lake Casipa, and falleth into Orinoque farther west, making all that land between Caroli and Arui an island, which is likewise a most beautiful country. Next unto Arui, there are two rivers, Atoika and Kaura, and on that branch, which is called Kaura, are a nation of people whose heads appear not above their shoulders, which, though it may be thought a mere fable, yet for mine own part I am resolved it is true, because every child in the provinces of Aramaya and Kanuri affirm the same. They are called Ewaipanoma, they are reported to have their eyes in their shoulders, and their mouths in the middle of their breasts, and that a long train of hair groweth backward between their shoulders. The son of Tapiawari, which I brought with me into England, told me that they were the most mighty men of all the land, and used bows, arrows and clubs thrice as big as any of Guyana, or of the Orinocoponi, and that one of the Iwarawakeri took a prisoner of them the year before our arrival there, and brought him into the borders of Aromaya, his father's country. And farther, when I seemed to doubt of it, he told me that he was no wonder among them, but that they were as great a nation and as common as any other in all the provinces, and had of late years slain many hundreds of his father's people, and of other nations their neighbours. But it was not my chance to hear of them till I was come away, and if I had but spoken one word of it while I was there, I might have brought one of them with me to put the matter out of doubt. Such a nation was written up by Mandeville, whose reports were holden for fables many years. And yet, since the East Indies were discovered, we find his relations true of such things as heretofore were held incredible. Mandeville, or the author who assumed this name, placed his headless men in the East Indian archipelago. The fable is borrowed from older writers, Herodotus, etc., whether it be true or no, the matter is not great, neither can there be any profit in the imagination. For mine own part I saw them not, but I am resolved that so many people did not all combine or forthink to make the report. When I came to Comana in the West Indies afterwards by chance, I spake with a Spaniard dwelling not far from thence, a man of great travel. And after he knew that I had been in Guyana, and so far directly west as Caroli, the first question he asked me was whether I had seen any of the Ewaipanoma, which are those without heads, who, being esteemed a most honest man of his word, and in all things else, told me that he had seen many of them. I, I may not name him, because it may be for his disadvantage, but he is well known to Monsieur Moucheron's son of London, and to Peter Moucheron, merchant, of the Flemish ship that was there in trade, who also heard what he avowed to be true of those people. The fourth river to the west of Caroli is Casnero, 
which pours into the Orinoque on this side of Amapaya. And that river is greater than Danubia's or any of Europe. It riseth on the south of Guyana, from the mountains which divide Guyana from Amazons, and I think it to be navigable many hundred miles. But we had no time, means, nor season of the year to search those rivers, for the causes aforesaid, the winter being come upon us. Although the winter and summer, as touching cold and heat, differ not, neither do the trees ever sensibly lose their leaves, but have always fruit, either ripe or green, and most of them both blossoms, leaves, ripe fruit and green, at one time. But their winter only consisteth of terrible rains, and overflowing of the rivers, with many great storms and gusts, thunder and lightnings, of which we had our fill ere we returned. On the north side, the first river that falleth into the Orinoque is Cari. Beyond it, on the same side, is the river of Limo. Between these two is a great nation of cannibals, and their chief town beareth the name of the river, and is called Akamakari. At this town is a continual market of women, for three or four hatchets apiece. They are bought by the Arwakas, and by them sold into the West Indies. To the west of Lima is the river Pau, beyond it Katuri, beyond that Vuari, and Kapuri, the Apuri River, which falleth out of the great river of Meta, by which Perreo descended from Nuevo Reino de Granada. To the westward of Kapuri is the province of Amapaya, where Berrio wintered and had so many of his people poisoned with the tawny water of the marshes of the Anebas. Above Amapaya, towards Nuevo Reino, fall into Meto, Pato and Casanar. To the west of those, towards the provinces of the Ashaguas and Catetios, are the rivers of Peta, Torni and Ubarro and toward the frontier of Peru are the provinces of Thomebamba and Cajamalca. Adjoining to Quito in the north side of Peru are the rivers of Guiacar and Guavar, and on the other side of the said mountains the river of Papamene, which descendeth into Maranon or Amazons, passing through the province of Motelones, where Don Pedro de Orsua, who was slain by the traitor Aguirre before rehearsed, built his brigantines, when he sought Guyana by the way of Amazons. It's interesting that at one point in this episode Raleigh says, but it shall be found a weak policy in me, either to betray myself or my country with imaginations. And yet despite what he says here, there's clear fantasy in this section of the document. The Iwaipanoma, those people with eyes in their shoulders, do not exist however much Raleigh wants them to exist. This episode ends with a long list of details and names. Yet somehow the more details that Raleigh gives, the more insistent he is that he knows the names and locations of all these places, the less actual detail he seems to reveal. Raleigh mentions these fantasy people, and they're not the only ones, he's already talked of Amazonian women, and he talks about lots of provinces, rivers, marshes and mountains. But ultimately there's one question he's not answering here. Where is the gold? So thank you everyone for listening to the latest episode of Long History. Please, before you go, if you can like it or rate it in whatever way possible, please do. And we've just got another four episodes of Raleigh's document to go, so please don't forget to subscribe. You never know, perhaps there's a twist and Raleigh does find gold. 
But in the meantime, thanks once again for listening to Sir Walter Raleigh's The Discovery of Guyana Part 14. Beautiful waterfalls, ridges and men without heads. Goodbye.